Good morning, LCM. Great to see all of you on the eve of our departure. We're so excited to be heading out after quite a lengthy absence from that region, and we're really excited and we're emboldened uh, to get out there and continue God's work. Uh, Today is uh, March the 11th, 2018, and our message is called Storm Chasers. Storm Chasers, this is your formidable Aswan team right here. We're hoping to uh, cover a lot of territory on this trip. Um, Russia, Israel, Turkey, Egypt, maybe Georgia, who knows what else from there. But we're just going to follow the Lord and Holy Spirit and see exactly the way he directs us and uh, and follow his lead. Um, Just to start the message off, uh, I want to ask you, is anybody in here not in some kind of storm in your life right now? Not one hand. Excellent. This message will benefit all of us. Uh, if you find yourself in a storm, the, the question to ask is, are you in the will of God in the storm? Or are you in your own will trying to work out your own storm by yourself? This is a big question. So I want to ask you to please turn, to, turn with me to Mark 4. We're going to start reading. Let's start in 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, Don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? We're going to have to learn to depend on the Lord in these storms. It is quite possible, saints, that the Lord has you in this storm by his own will. And, and if this is the case, then we're going to have to seek him to figure out exactly why we are in the storm and what he is trying to do with us. What, what is he trying to mold in our lives? What flesh is he trying to hack off our bodies so that we can conform more to his way and to his purpose? This is the setting for the, uh, for the sermon. I'm going to turn it over to the guys right now. I hope you enjoy it. Hallelujah. There you go. Were you guys excited this morning? Yes. Hey, I want to put a scripture on the screen before we start. Joy, if you can put up Revelation 13.1 for us. Everybody see that? It says, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and he had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. I'm going to tell you guys this morning that the devil stood on the shore, and he bet a seven-headed beast to come out of that shore and ravage the earth. I want to tell you something, that Jesus Christ raised that bet, and he raised up another seven-headed beast to go into that storm and conquer the enemy. 
And you say, wait a second, there's nine men going. What about Eric and Baj? They're the two witnesses, and we've just been sent to support them in their calling. <laughs> Listen, guys. The Aswan team, or the Mighty team, missions in Israel, Turkey, and Egypt, or whatever name you want to ascribe to the seven-headed beast, we, we urge you. No, we, we beg you to pray while we are gone. Okay? Don't just, and when you pray, don't just pray for us. Don't pray for, for us that we would be safe. Don't pray for us that we would not be sick, although those things would be nice. Don't pray for us that we will be free from harm. Pray that God's will would be done. Amen. Intercede on the people's behalf of Aswan that God would have mercy on their souls. Pray for the work that is going on here. Pray that God's will would be done. Pray that God would have mercy on this land and save souls. Amen? Amen. That is more important than praying for our safety. We'll worry about that. Amen? When we start, I want to open up to Matthew 10, 28 through 31. We got a message for you called Storm Chasers. Got this I, we got this, this stirring inside of us that there is a storm brewing in the land of Aswan. You can go to a website called Syrian Civil War Map and you can see all of the crazy things that are going on right now across the border from Turkey. Three nations involved, Russia, Israel, and Turkey, and we're going to every single one of them as Americans. We have a feeling that we're headed into a fight. We're headed into a storm. Matthew 10, 28-31, you there? Yeah. Everybody there? Yeah. Come on, I want to hear everybody. Everybody there? Yeah. says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Got this word as... As I was praying, watching videos of insane things happening in Syria, insane things happening, happening in Turkey. Saw some of the news footage of, of airplanes dropping bombs on civilian homes and seeing the effects of those bombs and how they are ruining the country, how they're ruining lives. Saw a video of a, of a, a house. Mother was baking bread for her child. And as she was baking bread, it's the only thing she could afford. A bomb was dropped on her household. The roof collapsed and fell on her child, her two-year-old child. And the video takes place in an emergency room where you can hear the child screaming. You can hear the child dying. You can hear the child breathing in panic. And as the mom is commenting in Arabic, she's crying out, Because she she can do nothing. There is nothing that she can do to save her son. The one thing that she has in this world, the only hope that she has, there is nothing that can save save him at this point. And she is crying in desperation for one thing, that he would just die so that he wouldn't feel pain anymore. So that he wouldn't feel the harshness of this life. And she's crying out and she's actually rejoicing, thinking 
Thankfully, that he will be in a place where he will feel no more pain. He will, he will not be hungry anymore. And you, and the, the camera pans over to the nurse who is desperate to bridge the gap, desperate to do something for the child. And the, and the nurse can't do anything and the nurse is crying out. And eventually the, the shot fades away as the nurse has her head buried into her knees because it is hopeless. She can't do anything. And I couldn't help for my heart to cry out for something to happen in that land. And you see, the sad thing is not that people are, are, are going without aid. The sad thing is, is the, the sad thing is not that people are going without food. The sad thing is that these people are dying and going into eternity without knowing Jesus Christ and the Savior and without having any hope. Think about that for a second. People going through extraordinary pain, going through a storm. A storm is raging and they have no hope. Lost. Completely hopeless. Complete disparity. And the one solution to fix that problem is Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus Christ comes, He doesn't take the person out of the hopeless situation. He gives the person in the hopeless situation hope. That's what happens. And as a Christian, as a born-again Christian, it pains me to know that people are dying and going into eternity without the one thing that is freely given to the world. The one thing that was freely given to you and I, people are dying without. Because of such things as persecution, the church won't go. Because of such things as hardships, the church is too afraid. And look what it says in this scripture. How does God feel about the matter? It says that not one of the, not one of the sparrows will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very heads, the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. If every single one of those children, if every single one of those people in that situation are worth that much to the Father? How does God feel about the matter? How does God see the world that we live in? You see, the problem is that we oftentimes don't see what God sees. We oftentimes go through our lives and just think, if I could just get through this work day, if I could just make rent, if I could just... Go home and watch television, or if I could just go get a meal, or if I could just do this one thing, I will be satisfied. And how God sees the world around you is that He is broken and desperate that they would have salvation. As a matter of fact, He is so desperate that He spilled His blood so that they could have hope. We have to cry out. We have to ask God, oh God, give me your heart so that I can feel what you feel. We have, as Christians, we have to say, oh Lord, break my heart so that I would be willing to go to them just like you came to me. See, Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He did that for us. So we have to ask God that he would baptize us in his heart so that we would go and do the same for the people that he is calling us to, for our region of responsibility. Jeremiah 25.32 says, Look, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. There is a storm coming, folks. And you have the responsibility to go. 
Just like in the 1900s, many people don't know, but the most disastrous event in U.S. history occurred in Galveston Island when a hurricane came and wiped out six to 12,000 people. And there was a man named Isaac Klein who ran up and down the beaches yelling, get out of here, there's a storm coming. You have that responsibility, church, to go into the storm and go after those sparrows. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's a good word. Y'all say something with me. Grab hold of this. Not that, but thank you. <laughs> say there's sparrows in the storm. There's God's sparrows in the storm. Turn to Exodus 3 with me, church. Talk about this, the, the nature of God, the, the unchanging nature of God. That he hurts for those sparrows. He sent his son for those sparrows. Looking in the word and uh, preparing for this trip, trying to pray and, and see what it is that, that, that God wants to do, what he wants us to do, what he wants me to do. He brought me back to his heart. To, to, to the, the core nature of who he is. And a, a scripture that, that really started my walk, that changed my life. Exodus 3, 5, and we, we know, where, where do we find this? The, the, the burning bush. Everybody knows that the chapter of the burning bush. Moses saw something in that bush that drew him. He had a choice to keep walking. He had a choice to go on with life as normal. But he didn't. He took a step towards the bush. And, and what was in that bush? It was a storm, all right? He didn't know what God was sending him to do. But he knew that there was something there worth seeking. Yeah. And starting in Exodus 3, 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. Has God changed? No. We, we know Numbers twenty three nineteen. The Lord is not a man that he should lie, change his, uh, change his mind. Amen. He's the same God. He has the same mission, the same heart. And he wants the same thing of us that he wants from Moses. Right. In our lives, in my life, and in your life, you have to take responsibility. Amen. You have to take ownership for what the Lord is wanting you to do. But why? What, what's behind the storm? What's behind the fire? Let's see. Jump down to verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Amen. This is the heart of God. And this is, this is for his people. But his people were supposed to be a blessing for all nations. This is the place that we find ourselves at at this day and age. The Lord, when, when, when he... When he hears the cries of people, when he hears the cries of, of the, the broken and the destitute and the helpless, his response is to send a man. Just like he sent his son Jesus. So let's turn to Acts 10 and see what happened then. I can't get away from that. It's a sparrow in the storm. It's God's treasure in the storm. Exodus 10 in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Amen. So Peter was heading into a, a situation that he didn't see as favorable. This was completely against everything he had grew up knowing, everything that, that you know, that he had been taught. You know, I, I don't eat pork, Lord. Yeah, we don't eat with the Gentiles, Lord. But what was the Lord's heart? It was a people 
behind that, behind that, that struggle, behind that storm that needed salvation. Verse 35, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. From how many nations? From some from the safe nations? From the, the well-developed nations? No, from the nice nations. No, from every nation. This, this is the Lord's heart. He hasn't changed. His plan hasn't changed. In verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of, the, of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Now, do y'all think the people need, need uh, peace right now? Do they have peace? But they need it, right? How are they going to get it? Us. I just mean us. Talk about nations. We learned in Acts class that a nation could be a geographical place, but it could also be a people group. How many nations do you run into in H-E-B? Right there off Highway 6. How many nations? How many nations need this salvation? How many nations need this hope? Every nation. Verse 38. Throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with them. It's the same God, church. It's the same mission. And what we're looking to do, what these men are looking to do with their lives, is to bring that, that hope, to bring that salvation, to bring that peace to people who are without but it's the same mission that we walk around with every day. Right. It's people just as, as lost and, and, and burning in H-E-B as it is over there in, in, in Turkey. Only difference is we can see it now. We, we see the difference. What kind of fire, what kind of storm is God asking you to look into to, to, to find out what's on the other side of that storm? Because I think what you're going to find on the other side of the storm, it might be your death. But it's going to be life. For the nations around you. Amen. Amen. That's a good word. Our brother Justin saw sparrows in the storm. Justin Linton saw fire in the storm. And I'm sitting up here thinking, when Jesus Christ came into this world... What type of church did he die for? He died for a church that chased the storms. But what I see in the storm is the damage. See, Justin talked about the video in Syria with the bombing. I watched that same video a week prior. And I remember distinctively what the nurse was saying. She was talking about how how many people are being brought into the the hospital and how they can't provide for them. They don't have the medical supplies. And towards the end of the video was with that mother and her son. <clears throat> Excuse me. And her son was dying. And she and all she wanted him all she wanted for him was just to die, like Justin said. And I remember at the very end of the video, the nurse did all that she could. She walked the mother out. She's trying to console her because it's a lost cause at this point. And when the nurse turns from the mother, she collapses, like Justin said, and she fell, she started crying. What the Lord spoke to me right then and there was, these people are at their wit's end. They're at their wit's end. They have exhausted everything that they possibly know to do. 
They need a savior. They need a savior. See, right now the Middle East is in chaos. It's in a world of chaos. And those people are crying out like in Exodus 3 with Moses. In Exodus 2, they were crying out to the Lord. And in Exodus 3, God answered them with Moses. And so now in the Middle East, as we're going, those people are crying out for a Savior. And he's sending us to preach the gospel. While I was thinking about this, the Lord started staring something in me. Because I can see the damage that is causing out there. Let's turn to Job 39. Stay there when you're there. You guys with us this morning? Is everybody there? In Job 39, picking up in verse 19, it says, this is the Lord speaking to Job. It says, do you give the horse his strength or clothe his neck with a flowing mane? Do you make him leap like a locust, striking terror with his proud snorting? He paused fiercely, rejoicing in his strength, and charges into the fray. He laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. He does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against his side, along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzy excitement, he eats up the ground. He cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, he snorts, aha! He catches the scent of battle from afar. The shouts of commanders and the battle cry. What the Lord was staring in me in this passage, he was saying, Abimbola, for those people, I have made you the horse. I have made you the horse that charges into the storm. When you read in Job 39, 19 through 25, what's so interesting about this, this particular horse? This horse is empty of itself. It's absolutely poured out. It's empty of itself. This horse has counted the cost. It has counted the cost of what it means to lay down its life. What it means to lay down its life for those people there. See, I was talking to Elder Charlie the other day. See, as a Christian, we know we're supposed to lay down our lives. We're supposed to count the cost daily, right? And this is something that we do every day. We wake up, we count the cost. We put our flesh to death every day. And I was talking to Elder Charlie the other day, right, about this, this mission trip we're going to. And he mentioned, he said, what about the cost if you don't go. See, the thing is, as a body, as the church of Jesus Christ, we're always counting the cost. Picking up a cross daily and falling after him. But what happens if you do not go? What happens if you don't charge it to the fray? What happens to the spiritual conditions of those in the Middle East if we don't show up? See, the gospel started in Israel and the only way for it to get back to Israel is to go into the Middle East. And so when I'm thinking about this horse, this horse is more concerned about what's going on in the storm than itself. So the thing is, you have seven guys up here. You know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go into the Middle East. We're going to be led by the Spirit of God. But church, what about you? What about those who are here? See, we know what it's like to count the cost. But what about counting the cost when you can't speak to your coworker? What, is, what does it mean when you're, sta- when you're, sta- you're sitting there and the Lord is staring you and say, look, I want you to give them a word. Give them a word of encouragement. Speak to them in their situations where they're spiritually dead. Have you ever counted the cost of what it's like if you don't give that word? What it's like at H-E-B, standing in the line. And you know the woman behind you, the man behind you is in utter chaos. Their life is a, is a mess. Their life is being ravaged by sin. And the Spirit is moving upon you to speak to them. Have you counted the cost 
or what it's going to cost the person behind you or in front of you if you don't speak to them. What about a little closer to home? What about here in the body? When the spirit of God is staring to prophesy and you hold back. Or he's staring you to give a word to your brother. Have you counted the cost of what it does to them when you don't give them that word? When thinking about this, I thought about Moses. What did Moses do? In Exodus 3, the Lord chose him. He sent one man with his brother Aaron into Egypt. He sent Moses into that storm. He sent Moses into the storm, and out of the storm, what did Moses bring out? An entire nation. So the Lord sent one man into the storm that was filled with the Spirit of God, and he brought an entire nation. See, Moses is a shadow and a type for what Jesus Christ came to do upon this earth. Jesus Christ entered into this world, this world of chaos. And what did he bring out? He set captives free. So the Lord is staring at us this morning about this. See, we've counted the cost of what it is to lay down our lives, to leave our families behind, our jobs behind. But more importantly, what about the cost if we do not go? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Say there when you were there. In 2 Corinthians 4, picking up in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this also passing power is from God and not us. See the thing, church? We're just men. See, we're, we're, we're just jars of clay. But this also passing power in us is from God. See, in verse 8, it says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, we know what to expect. When we get out there, we're ready to face that persecution because you know what it means? If we let on our lives and it means that families are restored, men and women are born again, calling on the name of Jesus Christ, are set free from sin and generations are changed, it's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it. In verse 9 says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we Who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. Verse 12, so then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, the thing, church, is when we carry our cross daily, when we've counted the cost of what it means to lay down our lives here, and what it means to lay down our lives here for the impact it's going to have over there, we rush into, into the storm. When we rush towards death, it produces life. So ask yourself this morning, church, what does that daily death in your life look like? What is what does dying daily look like? What is what is dying daily going to produce in the life of others around you? It's supposed to produce resurrection power. It's also reproduce. It's also produce resurrection power that is only found in the Son. So my brothers and my sisters, we've got sparrows in the storm. Sparrows that you know that our Father cares very much about. 
Sparrows that need rescuing. Sparrows that need the nurturing power of our God. In the storm, you also encounter the very fire of God, if you're looking for it. If you're looking for it, you'll find God's fire within that storm. There's all kinds of damage in the storm. When we're, we're looking at this, when we look through these first few concepts, all I can see is that the Son of Man is also found in that storm. If sparrows are found in the storm, if fire is found in the storm, if damage is found in the storm, then there you will also find the very presence of God sitting in that storm. When you think about a storm, put in your mind the image of a hurricane, the image of a tornado, some storm that goes about and ravages a land. There's always something in the very middle of that storm, and it's called the eye of the storm. It's the eye of the storm, and the eye of the the storm is that portion of the storm in the very center where there is peace. There is shalom. There is something amazing when you find yourself right in the center of all the chaos. Can we put Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 4 on the screen? This is Ezekiel and he's with the exiles of Israel. They're getting pounded by the storm. They're deep in enemy territory, but the Lord is about to give them a revelation of his plan. says, I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed with burnished bronze. Under their wings on the four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. We're talking about some living creatures that minister before the throne of God, and they are residing in the midst of this storm that we're reading about in Ezekiel. The truth of the matter is, is that we belong in the middle of the storm with these creatures right by the throne of God. And if, if you remember in this verse, it says that it's blazing, white-hot fire. Pastor Wade talked to us last week, and he said that he wants our prayers to be white-hot. He wants them to be blazing. Well, I tell you, there's a soda in this. And the brothers have mentioned it. Every single one of us is a part of a storm right here, right now in this place. Every single one of us are supposed to be storm chasers. Every single one of us. Now the question this morning is, are you, are you a storm chaser? Are you rushing in to the storm or are you just bearing the storm? Are you just trying to weather the storm? You're just trying to get through it because whether you like it or not, there is a storm all around you. Are you just bearing it? You're just simply guarding yourself from the pressures of the storm? Or are you pressing into the very middle of that storm? Are you trying to find the very center of that storm, the very throne room of God that sits in the eye where there is peace, where there is security, where you know that you're in the center of God's will? 
and there's nowhere else that you can be, but you stand right there in the center and you can hear his voice and you know what his will is and you know where he's leading you to be. If we're standing outside of that center of the storm, of that eye of the storm, then we're weathering the storm without the provision of heaven. Can I tell you, it's not going to work. It's not going to work if you're weathering the storm and you're just somewhere on the outskirts of that storm. You've got to learn how to find the center of the storm, the very throne room of God in prayer, in your daily life, with your families. You've got to lead others to the center, to the eye of that storm so that they know what God's will is. Where the Spirit of God would go, so would the living creatures go as well. Wherever they went, flashes of lightning and the storms of God followed them. Do you not hear the Spirit of God this morning calling you into the center of that storm? Do you not hear that this morning? This word for lightning in this passage, it's Barak. To be encircled in the one from the beginning. Don't you know that the Son of Man is in the storm? Don't you know that the lightning and the flashes of thunder, the peals of thunder, the flashes of lightning, don't you know that these these have encircled His throne from the very beginning? You want to be close to the King of Kings, you're going to have to do more than just weather and bear the storm. You're going to have to rush into it with all of your heart. Let's go to Revelation chapter 4. It's in the middle of the storm where you find the throne of God. It's in the middle of the storm where you hear His voice. It's in the middle of the storm where you can have His shalom rest upon you. And it's into the storm, into the middle of that storm, where He's calling each and every one of us today. Revelation 4.1 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. I will show you what must take place after this. Revelation 2 and 3, we all know in here that the Spirit of God is addressing the seven churches that are located in Turkey today. He's saying, let me show you what must happen after I address these places, these churches. At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. That transition from bearing the storm to chasing after the the storm, the very middle of the storm, we have to make that transition in our hearts today. What in your life this morning are you looking at and you're saying, I've just simply been bearing this trial. I've just simply been bearing this particular storm in my life. When you make that transition from bearing a trial to rushing into it headlong because you know what it produces and you know what you could have, the very throne room of God, that changes your whole outlook on life, brothers and sisters. That changes everything about your countenance throughout your day. It changes your whole perspective. 
I'm not just going to bear the trial. I'm going to rush into the trial with joy. Because those lightnings and those peals of thunder, they come from the very throne room of God. He's the one. It's by His hand. When chasing the storm with all your heart, it's incredible because you can't even bear the storm without dwelling in the eye of His throne. How much more chasing it. We need to be in this throne room constantly, church. It's how we're going to succeed. Look at verse 6 with me. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. There's two things that you find whenever you reach the eye of that storm. Whenever you reach the very throne room of God, there are two provisions that you find that you cannot go without. First of all, you encounter the very holiness of God. That holiness works to change you and to make you holy. When you're filled and refilled and refilled with the spirit of holiness over and over again, that causes you to live a holy life. It causes you to be purified, to be changed. It causes your robes to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. causes you to be that effective witness that you must be. Second of all, you encounter His worthiness in the eye of the storm. You figure out that the King of Kings is worthy. That worthiness also does something for you. Those moments where you feel like the storm is too hard. It's too hard, too hard to chase the storm any longer where you're, you're too oppressed by the storm. The worthiness of the Son of Man comes upon you and causes you to persevere. Causes you to go forward. Causes you to continually move forward with all the strength and the vigor of the Holy Ghost living inside of you today. Guys, we're called, we're called to the eye of the storm. Let's not just weather the storm any longer. Let's chase after that storm and chase after the very throne room of God. That is where His provision lies. Amen. So our brother, he saw the Son of God and the presence of God inside of that storm. I want to tell you today that I see a heavenly battle raging inside of that storm. That everyone in here, there is a storm raging around your life. It's not just in Turkey. It's not just in Egypt and Israel. There is a heavenly war that is going on all of the time. There's a heavenly battle that is surrounding you. 
heavenly battle surrounding you, whether or not you're spirit filled and equipped. There's a heavenly battle surrounding you, whether or not you're giving yourself some sleep and slumber. There is a heavenly war that is at stake now. There is a storm for each one of us to contend with, and there is one answer to that storm. Open your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 89. We're going to pick up in the second verse. I will declare that your love stands firm forever. How long? Forever. How long? Forever. That you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. The Psalms declare that the glory of God is displayed on the earth and the heavens, and that there is a reflection between the two, and that he is equally powerful, equally loving, equally faithful in each area. There is a reflection between what is going on in that storm in the heavens and what is going on in the earth. We see nation rising up against nation. We see man rising up against man. And this is a reflection of spiritual powers that are at war with each other. We are heading towards a day when there is an antichrist that will rise. And that will be birthed out of a spiritual power that will influence a man. How much more so the plans of heaven. What did Christ pray? He said, thy kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I want to say this morning that there's a storm for each one of you to answer. And that we must look into it and see what the plans of heaven are for us in this combat. Amen. In verse 3, he, you said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. God promises here in Psalm 89 that there is a son of David who will come out. It is that son of man that Nick saw inside of the storm. That he will come in that generation that it will be raised up and his line will last forever. This is a prophecy about one who is to come. As we keep reading in Psalm 89, it says, The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too. In the assembly of the holy ones, for who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? The book of Job tells us that the heavens are not pure. Part of what Ben was sharing, that's the backdrop too. That out of the counsel of the heavenly beings, not everything is righteous, but God stands alone. That he stands as mighty amongst those heavenly beings. For who is like you in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings in the counsel of the holy ones? God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. The Lord Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. See, the Psalms declare to us that there is a storm that is raging around all of the nations. That there is a storm that is raging around every man and woman in this room. And that we have a a responsibility to answer that call. That we are in a war that is going on in the heavens. And that it shows up in the storms we see on earth. See, how do we answer this storm? We answer it exactly like the apostles. We answer it exactly like our Christ. Exactly like that son of David. We are going to press into the Middle East. We are going to press into our home lives. We're going to press in to the family and workplaces around us in every area of life. And we are going to preach Christ crucified. We're going to preach the resurrection of the dead. We are going to lay down our lives like lambs and preach the judgment and the resurrection that is to come when our Christ returns. Say, are you not scared to go to the Middle East that you'll lose your life? See, I'm not scared at all to lose something that I am freely giving. See, we lose all fear when we give up our life and lay it down like our Christ did. 
Men did not take his life from him. He laid it down by his own will and purpose with his father. Are you laying down your life this morning? In your workplaces, in your home, we need to begin to recognize this heavenly battle. This storm that is raging is raging around men in this room's life. We have to see it. We have to recognize it. We have to lay down our lives and preach Christ crucified and the resurrection of the dead. The son of David is our answer to this storm. We are going to preach it amongst Islam. We're going to preach it amongst Jews. Every people group in the world, we will preach the whole Bible and the full truth of it. Because it is the answer to the storm of our day. Amen. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too, and the assemblies of the Holy One. What we do here, when the storm is raging, it provides a testimony for all of the earth. See, we can have no testimony of how we took up our cross without an opportunity to see a storm in your life. Alex, you're building a testimony, my friend. He has engaged a storm and decided that it is worth taking on even if he has to lay down his life. Mario and Alicia, you've been taking on storms. We're watching this church recognize what is in front of them. And we must recognize the spiritual component of it where Christ is in the center, the sparrows that are out there in the heavenly war that is taking place. Let's go to Revelation 5, 4. You can throw it on the screen. I wept and I wept because no one was found who is worthy to open the scroll or look inside of it. See, what our brothers are expressing when they speak about a mother watching her son die. Who in the room is a parent? Can you imagine living in a society where you have no hope from the outside? You're being bombed every day. And the very truth that has been expressed to you is a religion that is a lie. You're told that that is salvation. That that is what can help you. And it demeans women, subjugates them. And oppresses the weak. It is the exact opposite of what God is calling for in Isaiah with fasting. And you watch your children die with no hope. See, the son of David is not just a fluffy little lamb anymore. He is coming to rescue his sheep. He is coming for those that he has called. And he is sending you to tell them now. There are people who are lost and dying all around us. The apostle and the elder John realized this. And the idea that no one would answer that call, that no one in this room could rise up to meet the occasion, made him weep and weep and weep. But in verse 5, we find our God's answer. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. You see, what we read in Psalms is in the writings, and it is teaching you how to walk this out. When you see a war in the heavens, you answer it through Christ crucified and the resurrection of the dead. The revelation is a prophecy, my friends. It is a warning. But to the sons of God, it is an encouragement and a warning to our enemies that our God, who is a lion, he is coming back, and he has already triumphed. We must work up the courage. To be able to stand and preach our Christ. Because he has already said that I have given you triumph and I have given you victory. We have to let all doubt fade. We are in a storm and a heavenly fight. 
I want to continue with our brother's preaching, but I want to make one small note. The reason that we are always preaching about rising up and a rising faith is because the storms in your life are never going to get easier. That they're actually growing and getting stronger and stronger as the days draw near. The one thing that God requires of us is that our faith to try, to depend upon what he has already done and to believe that verse, to believe it to the point where it shows up in our actions is what is required for the kingdom. In this room, I want you to stir up your faith, to believe what God says in Revelation 5, 5, that he has already triumphed. And then go out and preach Christ crucified, the resurrection of the dead. Display God's power everywhere that you go. When you pray for us, bombard the heavens. When you go to work, go to work with a mission to save souls. Earn an income while you're at it. When you see your children, go on a mission to make disciples. Let that lion of God come out of you because he is your savior. These brothers have really good words. I want to just jump straight into the scripture with you. Uh, Judges three twenty-eight through verse 30. Say there when you're there. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and taking possession of the fords of Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. I want to say it again. Follow me. These brothers looked at me one day and they said, follow me. The Black Sea is ours. A swan is ours. Follow me. And I was terrified. I, I'm not like you guys. I can't, I can't do this. And I found out that when I stood next to him, and my brother took me by the hand, and we stood in the storm, I was able to stand. I was able to do it because I want to be like them. Ehud, Nick, Peyton, Judah, they are looking at me and saying, follow me. And it has made all of the difference. It has made all of the difference in my life to press into discipleship, to press into the storm. Ehud gave a purpose and a promise with his command. There was a purpose. Israel needed to be saved. And there was a promise. Moab has been given into your hands. They have given me a purpose and a promise. I have a purpose for the salvation of the swan and the black sea. And they've given me a promise that we can do it. And I believe them. If y'all will turn with me to Matthew 4, verses 19 through 20. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. They left their nets and followed him. I bet Jesus didn't say that very quietly. I don't think it was very nice. I think he pretty well commanded them out of the boat, and they saw something in him they wanted to follow. The word for chase in Judges 3.28 is Strong's number 7291, or for follow, I'm sorry, means to chase or to hunt. It means with hostile intent. And I thought, this is a funny word for Ehud to say, do this to me. Come chase me down like I was your enemy. But the truth is, I have a hard time.
up with these guys. Sometimes I can't just follow them. Sometimes I have to hunt for them. Sometimes I have to chase because they're running hard, but I want to be like them. Thoughts come to mind about things like 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. All of the discontented, distressed, and indebted gathered around David in his storm, and he made them mighty fighting men. I have been discontented, distressed, and I've gotten around these men, and they're making me into a mighty fighting man. I think of 1 Samuel 14 and Jonathan and his armor bearer. I am with these men heart and soul. If all I do is carry their armor and fight behind them, that is a calling that is higher than I had ever hoped to have. And I am so excited for it. I am following these men because I know the Lord will reward their way of life. There is a reward in what they are doing. He has blessed it and he has called it. And I want to hand it over to my brother. Amen. As we near a close, open up your Bibles to Exodus 20. Is it okay if I move around? So these daredevil desperados behind me, they're going into the storm. But what about you? People don't get saved just preaching about the storm or talking about the storm. They have to charge into the storm. Look at verse 21. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. He charged into the storm where the sparrows were. And what he brought out was a nation. Do you want to bring out nations? You don't know what waits in the storm for you. Moses did. But I can tell you what scripture says is that there is a reward in the storm. And God is going to establish his kingdom. And those who are faithful get to set before his throne. Go to... Revelation 7, and wait there. It's an honor to stand among these men because of the urgency they see in saving people. It's, it, it breaks my heart to think there is suffering without hope right now in the Middle East. That's why I have to go. That's why they have to go. That's why you have to go. If Hannah was in a burning house with river, there's no power of hell that's going to keep me out of it. I'm going to charge into that and I'm going to save my family. Aren't you? If you love your family, you need to take up the the heart of God because he loves the sparrows that are in the storm right now. They're in the burning house. And if you're, you can't imagine yourself not charging in to save your family, can you? God can't imagine you sitting outside the storm, not going to save the ones that he's calling to. Let's read verse 14. I answered, sir, you know, he said, they are, uh, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. <laughs> and he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what we get to receive. 
when we go into the storm. And we're going to get crushed. We're going to get persecuted. We're going to look like fools and madmen to the world. But God's going to spread his presence on us. And he's going to do it for the ones that he sent you to save. Paul, stand up. The Lord says to you that today is the day of your boldness. Today is the day that you make your stand for your family. God is going to send you into the storm to save sparrows. You're going to teach men to work with their hands. Women to think in accordance to the scripture. And you're going to raise disciples that establish their steps according to what the Lord has apportioned for them. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to charge into the storm? Are you going to find that presence of God in the midst of your struggle? Or are you going to settle for a comfy cushion chair and call that being all in for the gospel? It's not. You have to sacrifice everything. If you are living in comfort, you're holding on to a job. You're holding on to uh, peace with your family, which is really no peace. You're just avoiding a fight. If you're embracing cowardice, you don't get to set before the Lord pleased. You'll set ashamed. Now today, it's time for this church to rise. It's time for this church to take up their call and charge into the storm. Because you are going to rise. Some to everlasting contempt, but others to everlasting life. What side of the fence are you going to be on? Are you going to stand outside the storm and just watch and talk about it? Are you going to charge in, take up the call of God that he's put right in front of you? And, and go after it with a holy veracity. I love C.T. study. He talked about chocolate soldiers. And they melt at the scent of fire. I know these men aren't going to melt. But are you? Now, today's the day to get it right. Paul, that, that, that word was for today. Amen. And I think you can... <laughs> Glean from Paul's boldness that I know he's going to be faithful to that. But it's also for you. It's time for you to be bold. It's time for you to start charging into the storm. It's time for you to start bringing sons and daughters into the kingdom. Amen. My brother Bosch looked into a storm and saw... Jesus calming waters. Justin looked into a storm and he saw a sparrow that the Lord cared about. Mr. Linton looked into a storm and he saw the fire of God. Abimbola looked into a storm and saw the storm damage. Not just what was happening to the people, but what would happen if you didn't go? Brother Nick looked into the storm and he saw one like the Son of Man. Judah looked into the storm and saw the lion of the tribe of Judah moving the heavens. Brother Gabriel looked into the storm and heard a voice say, Follow me unto discipleship. Peyton has looked into the storm and he has seen a reward on the other side. When I look into the storm, I see an opportunity. I see an opportunity for God to gain glory 
through his sons. I see the brotherhood of believers and the finest men that I've ever known there and right here. I see an opportunity to display genuine faith. Could we look at Matthew 24, 27 together? Some get scared when it's dark. Others see an opportunity to shine. You'll have to figure out which spirit you have today. For as lightning that comes from the east, where does it come from? Is visible even in the west. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is an incredible scripture. It's generally applied to the coming of the Lord, but what? What if it also applies to the coming of those who represent the Lord? I believe that we're going to start something in the Middle East that is visible even to you in the West. And that in seeing it, your courage will be stoked. Your fires will be stoked. And you may even join us. I'm remembering back to the 300s in Christianity. When they had slaughtered us for three centuries in the seat of power, which was Rome. A wicked man, before a battle at Malvern Bridge, stood and prayed, reportedly because his wife was a Christian. And he says that a sign appeared. It's in, in hoc signio vincis. Under this sign you shall conquer. He determined that the God of the Christians then should be the God of Rome. And he issued an edict of toleration. And so they stopped murdering us. For a short time. Even in the eastern side of the empire. Lucinius, also tired of killing Christians. Joined Constantine in the edict to tolerate Christianity. When Christianity becomes tolerable. It's not really Christianity. Lucinius began to see that there were many more Christians than he ever had thought. Because they were no longer meeting in caves, no longer meeting in hiding places. Christianity even was becoming somewhat popular. So he renegotiated his commitment to the Edict of Toleration. He began hunting down people in his empire. They would not recant Christ. One of the first things that he had to deal with was the Roman legions. The 12th legion is my favorite. The 12th legion of Rome was called Legio Fulminata. He comes like lightning. They were among the most successful of all of the legions. And when they got to the 12th legion, Legio Fulminata... They were in a little town in Turkey called Sebast. On the eastern front, right where the war is today. And they began going to the soldiers. And 40 of the most prominent soldiers represented the whole. And they said, you recant Christ and we will give you riches. Their response was, what riches could you give me that would compare to the eternity that I will have with my Lord? So they moved from seduction to intimidation. 
and said, we will kill you in the worst of ways. And they said, you can't take our lives. We have already given them to Christ. Said, you don't understand. We're going to march you in the winter out onto the lake. And you will freeze to death in front of the entire world. They ordered the guards to strip Legio Fulminata of their armor, strip them of their clothing, and send them onto the ice naked. But before the guards could get to their clothing, the men began to disrobe and walk out onto the ice willingly. They said, for Christ, they have lost all things already. You can't take from me what I am giving And 40 brave men walked out onto the ice. They've gone down in history as the martyrs of Sebast. But what history has not recorded so well is as the townspeople wanted to incite jealousy and they lit fires to warm themselves while they watched the men freeze to death, while the emperor ordered meals served at the edge of the lake and hot baths for the people, The soldiers on the ice in what is modern day Turkey sang praises to their God and encouraged each other with sayings like, we have shared this tribulation for a brief time together. Let us not be separated in eternity. And after many hours, when their feet had frozen to the ice and the ice was bloodied, As they rocked back and forth, pulling the flesh from their bones, one succumbed and began to walk towards the shore. Can you imagine how difficult it was for the 39? They watched his body drop before he even made the world that he so badly wanted in that moment. Died a coward. Saints, you have a chance once, twice in your lifetime to be a hero, but you have an opportunity every day not to be a coward. What happened next is both unthinkable and inspiring. When the 39 held hands and began to strengthen each other, one of the soldiers who had stood to guard them began to strip off his clothes and walk out on the ice. And he said, I want to join them in eternity rather than stand here on the shore. Oh, saints, we're asking you to take your place in eternity. All 40 fell on the ice that day. One after another they succumbed. But not one more gave in to the pressure of the world. How sits it with your soul today? Are you the one that is walking away or the one that is walking towards? Could we put 1 Kings 18.44 on the screen? The seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot 
and go down before the rain stops you. These men saw something in the storm, but when I look at these men, I see a storm. One that hell can't contend with. The world is ready for you to bow. We give up our prayer time at work. Muslims won't do it. We give up our social voice. And the homosexuals will not do it. We bow in every turn. But God is calling us to become a storm that the world must see. Those 40 martyrs of Sebast have not lived in 1,700 years upon the earth, but they've also never died in the heavens. Their story is still being told because they became the conversation. When did the lion of the tribe of Judah get his teeth pulled? When did you decide to play nice with the world? To go along and to get along? To fold your hands and slumber? You can go to carnal circus churches if you want to. Play nice with everyone that's around you. While the world goes to hell in a handbasket. Or you can stand up and become a part of the storm. This cloud that rose in Elijah's day. The only people that it should have scared were Ahab, his whorish wife. And 850 false prophets. But it didn't scare Elijah at all. He was praying for the storm. This is a church. That sees goodness in the midst of the storm. Wants to headlong into it. Believes that there is life. In the fight. We are not adventure seekers. We are seeking the voice of God in a storm. And willing to be Job to do it. Would you stand to your feet.